good evening, Living Hope. What a blessing to be here. What a blast. 20 years of friendship. 20 years of being encouraged by your church. You don't realize that. You don't know. But uh, the reason, I guess, why Chris and I are still standing in the place there is because when we were, um, we didn't really think. I mean, I, we started a church in a way that nobody's supposed to start a church the way we started a church. And, um, but I remember back on the 20-something years ago, I guess 20 years ago, we, um, we start, um, you know, ministry, and then we came to know um, Pastor Bob and Joanne, and of course, um, the kids after, after that. But um, I remember, you know, the, sometimes all you need is someone to come alongside of you and say, you're doing a good job. When you don't realize that, I mean, you think you're doing the lousiest job ever, Right? <laughs> And you look to, are they talking about me? You know what I mean? And uh, they did that. Wow, this guy's having an awesome church and they're doing an awesome job. And we looked to each other and said, is he talking about us? <laughs> but I tell you, those words have echoing in our spirit, in our hearts. It's served. You realize when someone that's really having an amazing church like you guys have over here. And then you come when you don't have anything, when someone comes and put faith and put, you know, say something. Oh, man, I tell you, we was, okay, I guess we need to go back there and really do a good job, you know, not to make them a liar, you know, after that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I tell you, those words have sustained us. But not only that, the resources we got from you guys over the years, you're still getting resources from you guys. And uh, just encouragement and uh, to see what God has done. Uh, here in, in over the years and seeing what God has done in the leaders that you guys have produced is just wonderful. And of course, seeing these guys doing an amazing job here is just amazing and awesome. Amen. Um, yeah, I don't really know what's going on in Oshawa. When I left, <laughs> uh, I think Chris is okay. At least I hope. Uh, I hope she's, is she fine, honey? Yeah, she's okay. So I'm, I'm good. Um, <clears throat> But, um, no, they are, we were really hoping that Chris would be here, but uh, unfortunately, um, you know, she can't come. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if she show up here even tomorrow morning before the services, you know. Who knows what she's going to do. But if Leticia gets better, she was so wanting to be here this weekend. We have been planning for a long time, and she wanted to be here. But, oh well, uh, here you're going to have to put up with me, all right? So... Let's go for it. I'm going to talk to you tonight a little bit about contentment. Say that with me, contentment. Um, you know, um, this is a word that I believe that we all need to hear. Uh, it's not this great jumping, you know, um, great word. Of, ah, no, but it's a word that I believe we need to know. We need to have that in our spirit. Because if we don't grasp hold of that my God, what we have sung here today, that my God is a God of now. We, we all the time thinking about future and, you know, the past. And we look at the past and, wow, God was great then. Wow, God's going to do great things. And we kind of uh, don't put value on today. And I want you to put value, whatever circumstance, whatever situation, whatever it is that you are facing, you know, either individually or as a family or as a church. I want you to enjoy God and what He's doing and enjoy His presence, enjoy His Word and His power and His faithfulness and His, you know, His ability to get you from where you are to where you want to be. But the bottom line, you're not there yet. You're here. Right? And so we are going to have a good time on the now. Can you say amen? 
All right, open your Bible in Philippians chapter 4. And this is a letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. And, um, you know, um, Paul, uh, you know, had, he was a great contributor. He did a great contribution to the church. I think uh, we must realize that without Paul, a lot of the stuff that we have that today, as far as New Testament is concerned, we wouldn't have. Remember, uh, 27 uh, books or letters in the New Testament, 14 of those 27 Paul wrote. Out of those 14 letters that Paul wrote, four of those letters Paul wrote from prison. Ephesus, Philemon, Colossians, and this letter in, that we are going to read in the, in the, to the Philippi church. Now, what a great use of prison time. Rather than to have a pity party, he just used his time to do something great for the kingdom of God. Now, little did he know that these letters would be influencing not only the churches back then, but little did he know that we would be the ones today being encouraged by those letters that he wrote right from prison. Now, the theme of the letter in the Philippians is joy. And you find this, this theme throughout the whole letter that he writes. And 16 times he uses the word joy. Now, remember that the church in Philippi is started in a very amazing way. It was really a move of God. Around A.D. 52, Paul, in his second missionary journey, goes on and, and he begins to get into this city called Philippi. And he goes, I guess, to a synagogue, but there is nobody there. And he goes down to the river where a bunch of women are gathering together. Actually, people are gathering together there. And they're kind of studying the word back there, if you may. There, down there, Paul meets this lady called Lydia. And uh, Lydia was a woman, was a businesswoman at the time, and she gets saved. Now, not only Lydia gets saved, the whole family gets saved. Paul keeps moving on a little bit, and he uh, goes into Philippi, and he starts walking the cities. And it was in this city that he heals this girl, this little girl who is demon-possessed. Actually, there she was following Paul and saying, this is a great man. This is a, this is a man that speaks on God's behalf and all that. And Paul just cast, cast the devil. She is demon-possessed. Paul cast the devil out of her. And, of course, this girl is working for this guys that using her gift and so anyways Paul gets in trouble and Paul's end up in a lot of troubles putting Paul into jail because now these guys don't have any business any longer now this girl gets saved Paul goes to prison in prison is where you have Paul and Silas in the midnight hour singing you know when when hell is breaking loose they are in pain Paul and Silas are singing and the and the and the power that was you know in that worship time it it, it just uh, you know broke them loose from jail to the point where the jailer, you know, thought that man, now we are in trouble and tried to kill himself. I said, don't, don't harm yourself because we are always still here. Well, the, 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 the bottom line is that he gets saved and his whole family gets saved. So this is on the second missionary journey. I mean, all of this is going on. And now 10 years pass. Paul is now on the third missionary journey. And Paul is again finding himself in trouble and goes back to prison. And around this time, Paul writes the words that we are going to read in chapter 4, verses 10. And here's what he says. 
I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you are concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living or in plenty or in want. And then verse 13, famous verse, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, the message translation is, is, a, is a very good translation of this same passage. It says, I am glad in God, far happier than you would ever guess. Happy that you are again showing such a strong concern for me. Not that you ever quit praying and thinking about me. You just had no chance to show it. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I am just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy. I have found the, the recipe for being happy. Can you say that with me? I have found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty, whatever I have, whatever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Father, bless your word today. Minister to our hearts. Encourage us today, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I wonder how many of you would like to know the secret of being happy. The secret of being happy, no matter what the circumstances are. Because if Paul learned to be content in lack, and he, Paul learned to be content in much, if he learned those things, then Paul's contentment was not circumstantial. Because he knew how to be in much, and he knew how to be content in not, not having anything. So, because if it was circumstantial, then he would have said, I learned how to be content when I have. But I'm not very happy when I don't have. But he goes on to the whole range of poverty and struggling and need as we see in the passage here in plenty and having everything and don't have enough. And Paul had experienced, experienced both seasons in his life. Seasons of plenty and seasons where he did not have anything, yet he learned something through those seasons. Now, he learned how to be content in spite of his circumstances. Now, I think we needed to learn some things like that, don't you think? That because there is no issue, no problem in us being so happy when everything is doing good. <laughs> right? When everything is going on in our direction, boy, that's, that's beautiful. But as soon as when something doesn't go quite the way we want them to go, out of, the, out of the sudden our happiness, our joy, our peace goes all, all out of the window. And Paul is saying, I have learned, I have learned the secret of being content. Now, when Paul says that, whatever circumstances, when, when he says, whatever circumstance I am, plenty or not plenty, it means a lot to me. Because it's Paul speaking. Paul is speaking. Because Paul had gone through things that are, give him the credibility to say something like that. Because if it wasn't for us, Having a little bit of a background of Paul's life, anybody can say, I have learned the secret of being content and not being content. And you know, there is no way that you can verify that. But if you know Paul, 
It brought, when he says that to the the church in Philippi and to us, well, it brings a lot of credibility because of what he had gone through. So most people believe that contentment can only be found in positive or favorable things. Well, when I have my debts paid off, when my marriage gets better, when I get a better job, when I graduate, when I get married, when I, when I, when I, but that's not biblical contentment. Biblical contentment is something different, and Paul is trying to bring that very thing across. And because most people will have a, a mindset that is futuristic, is that how you say? You gotta learn with my, you gotta teach, you know, put up with my English here. Most people think about a better day tomorrow. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't expect better day or anything like that, I'm just saying that we should not live today with this futuristic mindset that tomorrow. I'm going to be blessed tomorrow. I'm going to, some things, it's tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. And we think, like, we think that the God of tomorrow is better than the God of today. But the God of today is the same as the God of tomorrow. It's the same God that brought you from the past. It's the God that will take you to a future. So why is it that we neglect the past? We just dream about the future, but we go enjoy our present. And God's saying, no, no, I want my church to enjoy the present, to enjoy where you're now. Look to the person beside you and say, the now you got to like it. <laughs> so Paul says there is a secret to those things. And the reason why he says it's a secret is because most people will not find it. Two truths we learn. Number one, contentment, first of all, is learned. Look at verse 11 and verse 12. I have learned... To be content. I have learned to be content. Which means that you are not born content. I don't know how you are. I mean, we have a doctor in our church. And I asked her. I said, Lancy, when the babies are born, do they still spank the baby, you know, on the backside? And she says, no, no. this We don't do this, Pastor Frank, for a long time. I'm thinking because, you know, when I was introduced to the world, October 30, 1961, I was enjoying the fine confinement, beautiful confinement of my mother's womb. It was nice there, cozy, oh, warm. I didn't have to do anything. It was just beautiful over there. But then, here I am, ready to come. Mom and dad, yeah, Frank is going to come out. Praise the Lord, you know. And here I am. I'm just enjoying my time, but I'm pushing myself away because I just, you know, whatever. Anyways, I go as soon as I come out. The very first thing that the doctor does is pick me up from my end. Pow, 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 pow. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? Is this the introduction to the world that you give? It's like, ah! I mean, my mom caught a hand, caught a hold of that, and she never stopped until I was 18. It, it went on from, from birth to 18 years old, she was a super, I mean, 40 years old I am, and she's coming over here, the church flies her over here, you know, 40 years old, and by that time, long story, I'm not going to get into it, we have also our Canadian mothers, anyways, they, they bring her, the, both of them here, and uh, I go for a party, and, and when I fi- get into this party, I didn't know that they were there, I get into this party, I am 40 years old, and I get into the party, and immediately I see my mom and Nina, my Canadian mom, both of them sitting with a pat on their hands, and they put me down and both of them pow 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 I'm thinking something wrong with this picture 
I don't know what the point of that. But anyways, <laughs> you learn. You learn contentment. You're not born like that. Now contentment is learned and you learn to circumstances that are not very pleasant. Because you don't need to learn contentment and you everything is doing good. Money's in the bank, job is good, marriage is good, kids are not acting up. Oh man, it's beautiful. But you had to be content and you learn when you go through those things. And so Paul is trying to bring that all in adversities and so on. And that's what Paul is saying. So Paul condenses the secret of contentment in one thought. Here's what he says. The secret of contentment is to discover how much you can live without and still be happy. How much you can live out without and still be happy. See, contentment is not that a mindset that kesera, sera. You know, I'm not promoting that laid back, you know, a make do kind of mentality. Whatever happens, is, that's not what Paul is trying to talk to us about at all. So, whatever you can live without, if that can't terrorize you, you'll you, you be content. What are the things that you right now, if it was taken away, you still be content? What is that which you are doing or having, whatever, that if we take that out, is not going to affect your faith walk with God? It's going to affect you coming to the house of God or prayer meeting. Why don't you? Well, my toe, my toe. Are you serving God? No, not serving God anymore. Why? Well, because, you know, it's, we come with those lousy excuses and lousy things that... You know, and, and, and Paul is saying, no, no, listen, there is a, a new level that I want you to go into. And I want you to learn this. That you can live whatever it is that you can live without. If that doesn't terrorize you, it's good. So watch this. What is in your life? What is in your life? Think about it. What is in your life that you can live without? You know, I found out, <clears throat> you know when you have one of those God moments... God moments. I don't know if you remember, two or three years ago, I'm sitting on my, watching something on, on the news. And I see this fire, um, this fire in, in British Columbia. You know, I mean, people are being evacuated from their houses. And, and I don't know if you remember that. They're flying, you know, firefighters from everywhere, U.S., Australia. They came and they helped and everybody. And they were going to those neighborhoods. And they were saying, you know, get out of your house. Get out, get out, get out. And so there was this God moment on TV. You probably, I don't know if you have watched or not. But, you know, this God moment, this, this police is going knocking. People get out and people are going renting trucks. And they're going back and they're filling their cars out with stuff. Stuff and, and putting TVs and all kinds of stuff because they are going to get out. And, and, and they interviewed this guy that, you know, police knocked at their door. They went in and they said, look, you need to get out of here because it's dangerous. You're going you're gonna to get, get in trouble and it's now. It's not tomorrow. It's not later on. It's now. So they interviewed them and, and because they were all, you know, everybody else is carrying everything. And this, this couple went in. They got their two kids. They went in and they got a couple pictures their documents, their dog, put in the car, and left. They interviewed them, and they said, how come you didn't pick up anything else? Because the most important thing 
that we, I cannot live without is right here in this car. Everything else can be replaced. Everything else can, you know, we can, we can provide to. And I know I knew that I was watching that and God saying, this is for you. Don't, don't move that thing. Don't, don't change the channel. It's you right now. Just, just because I can be a little bit complaining. What you need and what you think you need are two different things. Can you say amen to that? I think it would be surprised. Now, listen, I like good things. I like good clothes. I like to drive good cars. I like to sleep well. I like to nice hotels. I like, but I also can go to Cambodia. I can go to Brazil. I can go to the boonies. And, and that doesn't, 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 doesn't bother me too much. So it's not that you shouldn't have or you shouldn't like or you shouldn't strive. That's not what we are saying. That's not what Paul is saying at all. But he's saying whatever it is that you find yourself with, be content with it. Second Corinthians 11. Just a couple things that Paul went. I have worked much harder. This is Paul. Being in prison more frequently. Being flogged more severely. And being exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was attacked with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in an open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea. And in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled. And I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. And have often gone without food. This is Paul talking. That's why he has the credibility to say. I have learned the secret of contentment. I have known hunger and thirst. And have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak. And I do not feel weak, who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn. So Paul is talking about the things that he went without. I had no freedom, no protection, no friends, no food, no safety, no, not enough sleep, not enough clothes, not in the water. You know, death several times almost, you know, and being beat up and, and left alone and all that kind of stone and all of that kind of stuff. Yet Paul is saying, and I did this just trying to do God's will. Just because I was doing God's will, I was going through all of that, which is not by any means what you and I have gone through yet. Not to minimize what you and I have gone through, but this is Paul talking. And here's when he writes to Timothy, he says one time, he says, I had to stand alone. Everybody deserted me. Everybody deserted me. But then he goes on to say, but the Lord... But the Lord, everybody left me, but the Lord stood by me. And I tell you, if you are going to learn something from God, I believe personally, this is my, my only, my belief personally, that every person has to experience a period of time of loneliness. When the world and everyone else, is simply it seems that you are alone in the place. Nobody is patting your back, giving... I'm all by myself, but God, but God is with me. 
But God is my helper. But God is my strength. God will never leave us. God will never forsake us. When we realize, I'm going to go ahead of myself, but that leads me to point number two. Which simply means this. It simply is this. You got to learn that once you learn that contentment is, is learned, you're going to learn through circumstances that you got to know that God is enough. God is enough. Look to the person beside you and say, God is enough. You see, true contentment comes when we settle once and for all that no matter what, God is enough. As a matter of fact, God is more than enough. God is more than enough. Look at verse 13. I can do all this through Him who gives me the strength. I can do all things through Christ. Because he is the one that gives me strength. Well, this is a part of the discovery of the secret of contentment. That we get and understand that if it is not for God, that God is the only thing that we have. Nothing else. No one else. See, Paul discovers that he could do everything that he was called to do because was God, God was Enough for him. Paul discovers that he could do all things without having all the resources that he should have. But he discovered that God would strengthen him even though when he did not have what he needed, God was enough. So in other words, Paul was saying this. God has strengthened me to live without food. He strengthened me to go without sleep. God strengthened me without my friends. He strengthened me, you know, and, and helped me to be encouraged. God helped me to go without, you know, wounds and, and to take care of. I mean, he, he strengthened me and he helps me. I can go without my family. I can live without money. God gives me the strength for that. He gives me the strength to go without forgiveness. He gave me the strength to live without, you know, getting the respect that I deserve. He gave me the strength to live alone and excluded from everybody else. He gave me the strength to survive all the beating times. Paul discovered that every believer must be discovered. If you are to be content, you get to know this. God is enough. God is enough. Because that's the only thing that will save you when you don't have anybody around you. And no friends, no pastor, no person encouraging you. You got to know. We got to grow up to a place where we know my God is sufficient for me. I have everything that I need because I have my God. You see, that's what happened. That Paul discovered that. Elijah discovered that. Remember, when he was all by himself, God took care of him, fed him. You know, I mean, an amazing way when you found yourself, that is, when you are in that place where you depend only on God, you're going to find out things about God that you never find out unless you are going through a need. Because Elijah was this. Listen, the God that you serve is powerful enough if he has to take a carnivorous bird to go against his own making, to keep pick up meat and take to feed you to where you are, he did it to Elijah, he's going to do it with you. Now, do you understand that? The bird that fed Elijah was a carnivorous bird. Instinct, natural instinct is to eat the meat. But God's saying this meat is not for you. It's a special order for the dude that is crying right now. Because he's all by himself. <laughs> Moses discovered that when he said, God, if you don't go with us, 
then where can we go? If you, unless you go with us, I mean, we are... The disciples discovered that when the, when the disciples, remember, you know, when Jesus led, was going from one place to the other. And, and here's the, you know, on the, on the multiplication of the 5,000, remember that? Jesus is going from one place to the other. And then the Bible says this, and the crowd followed him to a desert place. Now, listen. The crowd followed Jesus to a desert place. There is nothing good in a desert there is no, woo, in the desert. It is dry, and it's, it's a desert. Now, the kind of leader Jesus was is the kind of, I mean, you know, anybody can follow anybody in a good place. But to follow in a bad place, in a desert place? But boy, it was in the desert place that there was the greatest public ministry. There was, I guess, the first public miracle, even though the first miracle was with the... On the the, the wine, but on the great scale, Jesus was the very first one. And here's what happened. These people go, and Jesus gets, you know, go feed the disciples. The disciples are all freaking out, saying, man, you know, what are you going to do? Send them away, send them away. Jesus said, no, 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 you give them something to eat. And they go, well, okay, come over here, get in there. And Jesus go, and Jesus begins to bless. Remember, he took, then he blessed, then he broke. Doesn't that sound like you and me? He takes you, he blesses you, and then he breaks you. <laughs> you come all, and he takes you just as you are. And then he blesses you. But multiplication, the miracle didn't really happen until the breaking. And once the breaking happened, everybody got fed. But even the feeding of that, I mean, I don't know how you read the Bible, but I read the Bible in a really weird way. Listen, it's 5,000 people, 5,000 men, minimum 15,000 people, minimum. Everybody's hungry. I don't know how you are when you're hungry, but when I'm hungry, I want food now. Like, give me Churrasco, barbecue, Brazilian, the way God eats it now. <laughs> Lots of salt, praise God. Mm. The way God has it. I mean, God's not vegetarian. You knew that already, right? <laughs> He's not. He loves those sacrifices. The more bulls, the better. Listen, the great thing about that miracle, yeah, it's no, nice. But imagine, be on the crowd. And what was the instruction that Jesus said? Jesus said to him, um, put the, the, the people in the, in the 50s. I mean, folks, listen, 15,000 people. Everybody's hungry. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 40, 41, 42, 43, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50. Sit down. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50. Sit down. 1, 2, 3, 4. 
and that's only 100. <laughs> Try to do that with 15,000. And you've got to be content. Food is coming. I wish Gabriella knew the food is coming when she was about a baby and she ah! Man, this kid can scream. You would think, listen, the bottle is coming, but she didn't care. It's like she still can scream. It's like. God is enough. Listen, if God can do all that, folks, listen. The picture of Jesus that we have to have and a God that we have to have is the one that John had in the Isle of Patmos. Remember that? When he saw Jesus, not the weak Jesus, not the Jesus that come through sometimes and don't come through the other times. It's the Jesus that is glorified. the Jesus that is strong. He's iron and it, it describes his body. I mean, his, I mean, everything about that Jesus is awesome. That's the Jesus that you serve and I serve. And he is enough to solve your issues, no matter where your issues are, no matter what they are. He is enough. And until we come to the grips that he is enough, you're going to be unhappy. And our worship will depend on if everything today was good. I'm going to worship if everything was good, but I'm not going to do it if it wasn't so great. I'm going to play if I felt it. No, no. This is the Jesus we got to be, folks, look, come on. we got to be ready to worship him just because of who he is, you know, what he has done. And it doesn't matter how I am, how I feel. He is enough. My God is enough God. We sung it. I lift up my eyes to the hill where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I lift my eyes to the hill, not over here. Who is going to bless me? Who is going to take care of my needs? Who is going to provide for me? Who is going to do? No, no, no. I lift my eyes to the hill where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You know why we're unhappy? Because we're still looking this way when we should be looking that way. It's only you, God. It's only you. Nobody else. Well, nobody told me that I'm doing a good job. You don't need it. Jesus already done it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. You understand what I mean. But you can't live on that dimension. Well, I guess they forgot about me in the church. Are you kidding me? Are you nuts? They forgot about me. They're not giving me the importance as they once did it for me. Oh, you need a slap. That's what you need. What about God? What about the Jesus that called you? What about the God that, you know, what about if it is just a desert place, a season, and God is going to come to bring the breakthrough that you need? Where am I? Oh, God is enough. I want my daughter to find out in Brazil that the God that mom and dad served was the God that was enough. First year, I was telling Pastor Bob and Joanne, first year, we, Gabriela went to Brazil for two years internship. First year, we pay, we foot the bill. We, we pay the whole thing. Second year, she wanted to go back. We said, okay, well, it's, you're on your own. We paid the trip. We paid the, the, the airfare, but you're going to have to find a job, a J-O-B job, <laughs> not Job. <laughs> you're going to have to, you're going to have to. 
Because in our hearts, we want her to taste. Because I don't want her to live by my experiences. Listen, I don't want to live on my shadow as well. No, because he hears the story, how God provides. Listen, when I came to Canada, I was in prison. I don't know if you know this or not, but I came in 1987, February 23rd, 1987. And I go into, I come into Toronto, go straight to prison for three days. Long story, don't have time to validate there or time to explain why. But trust me, all right? I went three days, going there. I was a Jonah. Go for three days. I mean, I confess everything in those three days. God, I'm going to serve you. God, I was running from God. I got out of there. The immigration took all my money, everything that I had. Left me with 150 U.S. dollars that I had in cash. Every travel check, they, they kept everything for a year. And I did not know anybody. I couldn't speak. I still can't speak English, but I fake it a little bit better now. But back then, it was nothing, not one word. And I was there, 23rd of February, 1987, in a city that I didn't know. I came, I mean, I'm a commercial pilot down in Brazil. That's what I did. I came to upgrade some of my licenses. Didn't really want it to be ministry. I didn't come, well, I'm called to Canada. No, I run from everything down in Brazil to come here. And God said, I get your number. I put you in a place where you don't know anybody and you can't defend for yourself. There I was. Long story short, I come out of there. Come out of there, no money. They dropped me off. Miracle that I survived. That week I end up at square one. Sitting at square one writing letters to my family. Nobody heard about what was happening to me because no telephone back then. Uh, I mean, there was telephones, but, you know, there was no accessibility for me. And I'm there writing letters, hungry as all get out. And I remember, you know, the God of my father. I mean, my father was a great man of God. My mom and my dad, amazing. And I remember sitting there, nobody around, no one knows, nobody can understand me, nothing. And I'm just remember there and I think, God, I just want a, a, a Coke, a French fries, and a hamburger. That's what I want. I look at people coming in square one, sitting on those tables, and, and I'm there writing a letter. And I just, I just, I didn't even pray, I just thought out loud. And I'm sitting there. Then comes this nice guy, well-dressed, with a bag, and puts the bag in front of me. Say something, and I just pretend I understood. And I kept on writing. And the guy went away. I thought maybe he went to get a drink, because that was normal. You know, if you remember, back then, square one wasn't as big as it is now. And so people would sit anywhere, you know. And so I'm just, you know, kept on writing the letter. And, and you know, that bag was there. And I start looking, where is this guy? And, you know, five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, half an hour passed, and I'm nervous. Because now I'm thinking, it's drugs. For sure. I am going to jail again. It's a setup. An hour passed. Hour and fifteen minutes. Hour and a half passed. And I'm just, oh my gosh. So then I thought, okay. I look at one side, look at the other, put my stuff on my bag, got a hold of the bag. Where do I go? To the washroom. Straight to the throne room. <laughs> Said, I want to see what this is. I open. When I opened the bag, I felt God saying, you dumb, you. 
you, you should have eaten that stuff. So it was a Coke, hamburger, and a French fries on that bag. And I'm just God saying you should have eaten that. It would, it would taste much better when it was hot, you know. I mean, the stuff that went on. I'm sitting in church. I'll, I'll take one more. I'm sitting in church, evening service in this little church on the second row. Morning service, ushers come, take up the offering, go, right? I have only $2 on my pocket. Offering time. I didn't understand nothing that what was going on. I, I just knew there was offering time because that's what happened Sunday before. And so I knew offering time. And as the pastor, Ian, the name of the pastor there, you know, got the I knew there was going to be an offering time. And God said, give. And I'm thinking, I'm not giving. It's $2 only. God said, no, you're going to give. I'm thinking, I'm not giving it. Give, I'm not giving. Give, I'm not giving. Not giving, not going to give. They pray over the offering. And then the, the, the offering plate passed me. And the Lord said, you're going to have to give. I said, I'm not giving. You have to give. I'm not giving. And then I said, okay, if the offering plate comes back, I'll give. <laughs> now, even in service, there was no offering plate bring it back to the front. They just ushers take from there down, except that Sunday. <laughs> the guy comes in, goes right in front of me and put the offering plate right there. And I'm thinking, you get out of here in the name of Jesus. I, I bound in Portuguese and tongues everywhere. I, I mean, I just, it was the most painful $2 I ever gave. I gave. I already did not, I did. Oh, Lord. I, I mean, I couldn't understand anything that was going on anyway. So, you know, I just, I can't wait to get out of this place. I start walking back home. Burn and Thurp Road. Burn and Thurp and Rathburn. Start going back. Bus are passing me. Cold as all get out. Number 10, Burn and Thurp bus. And I'm just in the devil saying, see, you shouldn't have given that name. You shouldn't have. Except that those days, people didn't know how to communicate with me in church. They would put some notes and put it in my pocket. And then I would... Uh, you know, get home, get the dictionary and open and trying to look what was. And this guy comes in the end of the service, puts something, and I thought it's a note. But I was so ticked off with the, my toolbox, I didn't even care what was there. I just got out of there, right? So I go back down and, and pass it by. Then there is a Burger King right on Dixie and Burnham Thorpe. And that smell, mm, and the devil saying, see, there you go. I pass about, not kidding you, probably about an eight blocks down. And then I remember someone put something in my pocket. I look at my pocket, and I look at it, and it's not a note. It's a $20 bill. I start crying. God saying, I'm just trying to convey to you that I am sufficient for you. I got that $20, went right back to Burger King. Listen, God is enough. God is enough. Doesn't matter 
what you're going through, doesn't matter what's happening, doesn't, nothing. No, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta stand on that word that is not a lie, is the truth word that your God, the God that you serve, has your name, has your number. You don't need to make a way. Listen, listen, God was trying to convey something to me for years that I didn't understand back then. He put me in a situation where there was nowhere to run. And I was excited when Gabriella went down because I said, she doesn't know. I mean, they're good friends of mine, the church where she was, but all my family, there is nobody there. She will have to live down there, learn the language, and, and get her job. Go, I don't know. Get, get a life. Do something there. <laughs> don't call me for money, which, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> Pay your own phone bills. Whoa, what a nice thing it was. Pay our own phone bill. Praise God. But she needed to find out, which Paul found out. That those hard times in the deserts and the things that you go through are opportunities. If you handle the proper way, God can give you great opportunities and breakthroughs. And man... I tell you, those lessons, and I have stories like this, like plenty. But I didn't need to live my dad's story. I needed to live my story. And now I can stand out. God's going to come. God's going to come through. See, that's something that, and be happy and content, I guess. Whatever it is that you're going through. Would you please stand with me? Let's pray together. Is that okay, church? Would you lift up your hands? And I want you to think about you, the situation that you're facing right now. What's going on in your life right now? Particularly those situations, you know, that are not so awesome, great. Those times in your life where, you know, you are, you know, right now maybe that is not really, things are not working in your favor. You know, that you really, it's uncomfortable. This is an uncomfortable place that I am right now. But I want you to begin to surrender those moments to God and say, God, I wanted to learn the power and the secret of contentment in this situation. I will lift my eyes to the hill. And I know where my help will come from. My help will come from the Lord. You are the maker of heaven and earth. I don't want to make anything happen. I don't need it to try to make a way. I don't need it to do anything. I just need to wait on you and wait for you to bring me the breakthrough that I need. I don't want to go around this mountain more than what I should go around this mountain. I wanted to stop the cycle of just, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get, God, would you just bring a breakthrough? I want you to begin to ask the Lord. I want you to begin to tell the Lord that, Lord, this is what's going on. And I'm going to ask you to bring me a breakthrough. I'm going to ask. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to whine. I'm going to rejoice in you, God. Not because of my circumstance, but I'm going to, in spite of what I'm going through, I'm going to worship you, and I'm going to praise you, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to minister unto you God and I'm going to worship with everything that I've got I'm going to lift my eyes to you God and my life is going to be yours oh God come on would you just begin to say that begin to begin to declare that would you begin to declare that over your life over your family would you just begin to declare that 
Come on, just to begin to declare, verbalize that. Don't think those things. Begin to say it. Let it come out of your mouth. Hey, God, you are my sufficient. Oh, God, you are the one that I need. That is nothing else that I need. Is you. My joy is found in you, God. Oh, my needs, Lord. You're going to provide and supply for every need that I have, Lord. Lord, I am your favorite, oh, God. Oh, I don't care how many, how many hundreds of people are around me, God. You're looking at me today, God. Your eyes are focused, are fit on me me, oh God, today. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 You are a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are.